The Teachers College at Emporia State University presents How We Teach This. On March 1st, with our Season 6, Episode 4, we listened to a group of professionals from a variety of positions in Kansas schools talking about teacher retention and how to recruit and retain quality teachers and professionals in the education field. We are ready for the second half of that interview, and I think you're going to enjoy listening to some of the specific things that these school districts have implemented based on the data that was collected in the Kansas Teacher Retention Initiative Survey. So if you missed the first part, you'll want to go back and listen to that. Find it on our website, www.emporia.edu backslash HWTT. And here we go with the second part. If I may share, I started my journey in education in Kansas uh, back in 1993. And I was so proud to become a teacher, to graduate from college with an education degree and to go into the classroom. I was looking forward to it and I was proud to be a Kansas teacher. About six years ago, a classroom teacher next to me who was phenomenal as a science teacher had had it and she decided to move her entire family and she looked at a map of the United States and she looked for states that were supportive of education and valued teachers and she intentionally sought a job to take her out of the state of Kansas and it broke my heart because I'm like, wow, what have we come to? And I think this study that you guys have done and the actions that you're taking with this survey and information has the potential to take Kansas back to that state where teachers say, I want to teach in Kansas. I feel valued as a teacher in Kansas. And be a destination place for teachers. It gives me a lot of hope to hear all the things that you guys are doing and what you've learned from this survey. Hey, Christy, this is Jessica again. And, and to piggyback on that, I think um, when you asked the question about the partnerships, you know, the other thing that I think this really did that I want to underscore is teachers really felt like they were being listened to probably for the first time when you hear that your employer and, you know, Kansas NEA and the Kansas Association of School Boards and a post-secondary institute are all listening to you. I think that talks to the importance of the, the participation that we had. But I think it's the first step in teachers right now, I, I think because of COVID and for a lot of reasons, the lack of pay, sometimes the capers struggle that we're having feel underappreciated. So to have the partnership of, you know, the state leaders at the table, I think really did speak to teachers feeling listened to probably for the first time in a long time. And I think, you know, that's another great piece that came out of the survey going out to everyone in the state. Would you be willing to talk about some of the more specific challenges? Do you have any stories or anecdotes that uh, might speak to some of those challenges more directly of what you've done to work on them? 
Well, I'll go. I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking. This is Jessica again. One of the things that I did was I actually shared this data at our convocation. And in our strategic plan, we have a goal over the last couple of years of listening to teachers really feel, I think, underappreciated at times. And this idea that we really have to take care of teachers in different ways and think outside the box and the generation piece that we've talked about of keeping the millennials and, you know, the, the next generation of teachers in the profession. And so from this, we really beefed up um, our strain of our strategic plan of human capital. And so I share that at convocation like this. We have four pillars and you are one of the four. And I think they're used to being hit over the head about state assessments and accreditation and all of those things for students, which they are our clients. Um, but to, to hear them say that we're just as important, the feeling you feel about us is the human capital and keeping us. I've had several teachers that I was very shocked came and said, I've never had anybody talk about me as human capital before and that I'm not important that you would write it into the strategic plan. And I thought, you know, we, we get going so fast that sometimes we slow down and we don't say thank you in ways of, uh, that, they, that they need to hear. And so I think it's helped me learn how to communicate better and in a more appreciative way with the teachers and slow myself down a little bit. But again, thinking outside the box, because I'm a veteran educator at this point, 28 years in the field, and the way and the perks of the job and what my first and second and fifth year teacher needs are very different than what I needed at that point in time. So I would just say, I think it's it's helped me learn to communicate with my staff better and help them feel more appreciated. This is Shannon. My, my district is just getting started in digging into the district-specific data. So I know that there will be a lot that we can take away from that. One of the bigger things I see as a benefit from this survey is that both the district-specific data and the statewide data will help us have an informed conversation about the what I think is a disconnect in public education around teachers and it and it ties to what Jessica just said about recognizing the value of the human capital. Oftentimes when people talk about public schools and, and funding of public schools, I get the impression they think of it as this nebulous thing that they they give the legislature gives money to schools and nobody has any idea what we do with it. And I hope that this data allows us to really hone in on the point that the funding that we get for public schools is funding for people. It's funding for teachers. It's funding for those classified staff members. And to the extent that we want to make improvements in our schools and improve academic achievement, we have to invest in people. And that means that we need more money for things like paying competitive wages to our teaching staff. You know, the data that came out earlier this year about Kansas having a 25% penalty if you are a person with a bachelor's degree and you go into teaching versus some other profession that requires that credential, you know, classified staff in my community, we cannot keep paraprofessionals because they can go to just about any fast food restaurant in Lawrence and make many dollars an hour more than what we can afford to pay them the things that are driving teachers not to stay in the profession, there's a lot of different things, but one of them is this disconnect between, between advocacy for public education and, and really honing in on 
what it means to support the people who do the work. Yeah, to, to add to that, one of the more, this is Luke, one of the more interesting findings in our research at the state level, and then we're seeing reoccurring at the district level, we had a question, which to use your term nebulous, is a bit nebulous, <laughs> but it's around the society's view of the teaching profession. Over and over again, is predictive. There's a poor experience from the teachers that relates as it relates to that. And it's predictive of retention, predictive of engagement. And so that is, you know, Brett and I have been having conversations like what is tangible there? What what can we convey to the Chamber of Commerce, to superintendents, <laughs> help understand there is, there's something going on there. And we're digging deeper, as you said, too. There's so many different aspects, but that's one that just resonates with me trying to figure out. So I just was going to, you know, convey, you know, support what Luke said about the other part that I think specifically we're trying to work with folks on is trying to understand the short-term and long-term impacts of this data. The society's view of the teaching profession is an area that we have to improve on. It's not going to improve tomorrow, right? That's a long-term piece. But if your professional development is a driver, right, maybe that's low satisfaction and a driver, that's something you have more tangible control over in the short term. So how do we make plans for both short-term and long-term improvements at a state and a district level? And I think the other piece of that is the classified staff piece. I think that one of the things we don't do a great job of explaining and that through this work I've really seen is obviously we recognize the importance of classified staff, but I don't think, and this kind of supports what Shannon was saying, but I don't think we realize that while there are jobs where teachers sometimes go outside of education, the jobs in many cases that are classified positions, your custodial position, your food service positions, those are much more universal when we think about the economy. So when we think about an hourly wage for that person, we have to think about the fact that, you know what, almost every business needs someone from a custodial standpoint to take care of their, you know, to clean their building. What are they paying compared to what we're paying? And as a specific example, I think the other piece we don't realize is, I always have made the statement, even when I was in education, I would always say, we have to focus on what we want our teachers spending time doing. Where do we want the energy that they have going? And what happens when you don't have classified employees is that districts start to do things like, hey, you know, we don't have enough custodians. We're going to put a uh, vacuum cleaner in the pod. If you could go ahead two or three times this week and vacuum your classroom so that, you know, because we're just short staff. And what we don't realize is, that's something that to the teacher sends a message that we're not realizing what it is that they're using that time to do to get ready for their students the next day or to be able to have time with their family. And I think that's where the classified engagement survey is also going to be important for us because we want to align it to the same model we use with certified staff, but really try to figure out what are those things classified staff wise, because we know that ultimately will impact the teachers, the students, et cetera. And we're having just as much a challenge in that area as well. So I know we were going to talk later about the future um, thoughts for the survey. Did I hear a hint that you're putting together something similar at the state level for classified? 
there will be classified data or yes, there'll be a classified tool, but we're not going to do it statewide. It'll be in the district specifically that they're able to do that. And then we'll be able to give them that information with the goal of it being able to look at things on each classified group. So a graph that shows them, you know, a question like, do I know what is expected of me? Well, what does, what do my parents say? What do my bus drivers say? What do my food service folks say? And, oh, you know, it looks like this group doesn't know what's expected of them. How do we make sure that's the case? Because I think there's a decent amount of variance between districts size, especially that would cause the statewide piece. And it would be much harder to get the classified staff engaged at that level. But I think at the district level, we definitely can do that. Looking at our, our next topic, we haven't really talked about the engagement piece. I was hoping Dr. Simmerly would give us a little more information about how that engagement information connects all of the other pieces to this and why it's so important. Yeah, there's been, and as I mentioned, working with the private organizations, it's a construct that I measure all the time, understanding really why people go above and beyond, what connects them to the organization, what are they motivated by? And as part of uh, the research that Brett and I were pulling together, we did look at Gallup, the Gallup organization out of Omaha. They've done a lot of great research around teacher engagement, have worked with different schools across the country and did benchmark some of what we developed around that. But having a more of a research model where we're not just, and we've not to mention any state names or partners we've talked with, but a lot of states out there are doing research where it's just answering the questions that they want to know about. Some a lot of the time it's about compensation. <laughs> uh, and I always jokingly tell like Brett and others, with a survey, never ask a question that you're not willing to make a change about. But engagement is just consistently a big driver of that commitment. It's that if you were to think about in the education setting, those teachers that go above and beyond, those pro-social behaviors like bringing donuts, being there to greet kids in the morning, just, and that's kind of the focus. And we have categories, we've benchmarked and standardized the measurement there as a separate piece in the survey where we loop back their experience to how it relates to their engagement and then how it relates to their retention intentions, um, likelihood to leave. And even it's, it's been interesting too, we built an index that was looking at the percentage of educators in your district that are likely to retire in the next three years or leave the profession altogether. And I know from doing this in organizations, it tends to be a very reliable <laughs> metric. And that's what I'm looking forward to just continuing this research because we are just one year in. But to continue looking at that benchmarking and to see the results of what we've um, uncovered and building more strategic plans with districts to help counteract if they have, if their index is like 45%, I think we had some around 50%. They're pretty high, like helping them guide through that. But it is a very intentional research process where engagement is at the core of that. Um, those that are wanting to go above and beyond commitment to their profession, commitment, commitment to their district, and using that as a way to help provide more prescriptive guidance on what should be prioritized. This is Shannon. 
I think that that focus is really helpful from a board member perspective, moving back to some of the discussion that we had earlier when Dr. Church mentioned kind of the short-term and the long-term implications of this data, working on the societal attitude about public education, working on our state funding issues, those are long-term advocacy goals from my perspective. And so what I see really useful in the engagement focus of this survey data is that there will be things that I can really hone in on as a board member in the short term that I know I'm not going to get a whole bunch of new money next year for my teachers, but maybe there are some really concrete things that I can use my limited resources that I have to focus on. And this data will help me make better decisions about how to prioritize those limited resources that I have right now. I feel like we're kind of in triage with some of this. Like I got to figure out how to stop stop the bleeding right away. And this, this survey data is going to help inform good decisions about next steps immediately and also provide those tools that I need from an advocacy perspective to really hammer on those long-term goals. This is Jessica. And to Shannon's point, you know, I think we when we when we think about what do teachers need the incentive to retain them, we we automatically go to that financial piece. And this survey just brought to light there are so many things that they want in this profession that it's free, it's time, it's feedback, you know, it's the opportunity to have a voice. And while we do have to have very important conversations about compensation and funding and policy and all of those things that are the long term, I mean, to me, what came to light are those things, you know, to Shannon's point in the short term that we have the resources to do. It's time with their principal. It's time that, you know, that they want feedback when you when you come in my classroom. And that's some of the things that the millennials really told us you know, was like, I want to know what you think. What did you think? What can I do better? They want that instant communication, which makes sense when we know how tied they are to social media. And so it just, for me, the lens of all of the things with professional development, feedback, engagement with, with staff, and the opportunity to have a voice. That was another thing that came out in our district. They don't want somebody to represent them. They want to be at the table. They want to have a voice. And so those are all really important incentives and pieces of engagement that we can give them immediately and that are of no cost to us and hopefully really incentivize them to see how important they are to us. Yep, that's a great point. I was just gonna add to that, uh, regardless of if it's education or manufacturing or different industries, there's always three common threads I see when it comes to engaging people. And a big one is autonomy, so feeling that they have independence. And we're seeing that in the research, this concept of mastery, that they're doing something that they're skilled up for, but is still challenging to extend, and then purpose. And this is a big one. We've been talking to leaders about the principle was a big driver of engagement. The Even the uh, board was very predictive of satisfaction, engagement. Uh, but having them think that they're doing something bigger than themselves, and they are, <laughs> but getting that clarity and direction and being a part of the conversation, as you said, and the generational differences are evident to millennials, that, that's, uh, that's a critical factor. 
I think that's great insight you've come across. Would you would you speak just a little bit? Something that really helped me was when you talked about the escalating zero point. Would you share a little bit of that from the research and background? Because that really was helpful to me as we think about the different factors that play a role and how we look at them and how we group them. Yeah. Yeah. Something Brett and I did just looking at our questions, understanding the teacher experience. There are aspects of the experience that are more transactional. Their benefits package, what they're paid, ability to have a higher pay in the future. But there's also more transformational. And that's part of what Jessica was speaking to. Like, do they have a voice? Are they being developed? You know, do they have a strong relationship with their principal? And those transformational factors end up being more predictive of engagement and retention than just the compensation or benefits. Because what Brett's referring to is that escalating zero point. We're just as human beings, it's a phenomenon that's been researched over and over again, holds true where once you get to a certain point of compensation or extrinsic reward, you re-anchor to that and your satisfaction will decrease over time. (laughs) If that's a driver of your satisfaction. So, and that's something we try to anchor to ourselves is thinking about, you know, what is the experience that we is more tangible that we can help impact that we can talk to principals about superintendents or the board of directors around making a more positive experience for their teachers. It's transformational. And I think that's something that, you know, these insights that I'm able to gather and like I kind of mentioned before about just like where we are as a profession and as an industry, you know, public education around understanding these types of things that Luke kind of has been aware of for a long time. But I think something I'm really proud of, you know, I always try to say to folks, you know, we didn't we didn't end up here overnight. It's not going to change overnight. And I, I think that one of the things I've said is if we could just see the percentage of loss start to be less in terms of, I mean, it's going to start there. This didn't just happen. And I think we put, you know, the pandemic accelerated this situation, but it was happening prior to that. But what I think that I really find the other challenge we have is, and this is where all of our partners help us so much, and that is everyone is so busy. When people see what we have in this data and what we can do with it, almost always they they are super excited. They want to move forward. They want to get the information. But because this is so foreign to most educators, and just like it was to me, getting getting people to come together or at least take a minute to look at this and better understand it is really hard. And so one of the things that I'm really proud of is there are districts who contact me and they contact me or we get in touch with them because a teacher who is in that teacher's association heard about this and brought it to their to their superintendent. A board member heard about this at the, you know, the KSB conference and went back and said to their superintendent, hey, this is something we need to look at. An administrator was at the USA conference and saw this. And, and the idea is that it really is helpful having the partnerships because it doesn't matter who realizes it's available. That's the first step to getting people to be more aware of it. And I know one of the things we'll probably talk about toward the end is we're trying to continue to do some things in that area 
to give people a chance to come and hear those things and to hear from other districts that are working with this, because a lot of the challenge is not resistance because everybody wants, they would love, they just, they're just not aware that it's available. They're not aware of what it means and what it can do. And, and that's just a piece that's going to take some time. But in Kansas, we're in a lot better place than most of the other states, because as I've been around, there are other states that have this data, right? So it's a positive that we're starting, you know, we're ahead of the game right now with regards to this type of data. And it's just a little bit of a lag to get everybody up to speed on that. I love that we are ahead of the game when it comes to getting this data and being able to provide it to schools and to all of the partners involved in this. So tell us what is upcoming. What what do you, you gave us a hint, but what 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 should we be looking for in the future? So a couple things. First, we are going to in the new year, we're partnering with KSB, but we're going to communicate this out through all the partners. We're going to have four different opportunities for teams to come to kind of a, a workshop where we're going to focus on all of this, what we've talked about today. We're going to have one at Emporia State. We're going to have one Garden City, one in Salina, one in Topeka. And we're going to have Luke and myself and some other folks together to, to work on this and, and to work with teams. So our goal is to really get a teacher, a board member, an administrator, a community member or a or an economic development person to come and to kind of be there. And we'll have people there who didn't even take the survey this last time. They didn't. And we'll have people there who have been working with the additional data, like Jessica's district, for a number of months. And the goal is to get everyone there to better understand this, both at a large scale and at a, at a more specific scale, but then also to make sure everybody knows, and this is that second important part, is that next fall and winter in 2023, we'll be doing the statewide survey again. And so making sure that we make sure everyone who maybe didn't participate understands this, has a chance to participate. And those districts that did participate, this is our ability to start seeing if we're getting any movement. It's also our opportunity to realize that when we did it in 2021, we were coming out of the pandemic. Did that have something that impacted some of the data in a certain way that's maybe different now because we're further away from the pandemic? So our goal is to just continue that work with regards to giving opportunities across the state for people to learn more, but also to continue to help us as we move forward with the plan of every other year, giving the survey statewide and continuing so we have that longitudinal data. I'd like to give everybody a chance to give us some final thoughts. And I would love to hear if you have a specific story or example that you've learned about this topic and just give us just a final thought on where we're at. I know some of you are going to provide resources that our listening audience can find on our website. If you'd like to explain how you found those valuable, please do that as well. So for me, this obviously has been a big step and getting the data and getting the teacher voice out there is huge. In terms of for the future, I did a three hour retreat last night with one of our local associations with their leadership team and their building representatives. It's a 5A school district, so it's a fairly large district. And I was doing, we were having this discussion on the importance of celebrating the profession and what we can do to support each other. And I had a teacher that 
ended up weeping over the issue that she feels she loves her job. She loves what she's doing. She's absolutely satisfied. So her engagement score, I'm assuming, Luke, was very high. But she can't stand what's happening to her colleagues that are struggling. And she said, I feel guilty every night that I love this, but I see my colleagues struggling. And it's that, you know, teachers are empaths anyway. So I asked the question, how many of you guys feel guilty that you like your job, you're very satisfied, but you see what's happening with your colleagues and two thirds of them raised their hand. So I think that's another concept we have to deal with are those teachers that are happy, are having success, are thriving, are still struggling emotionally in some ways because they see what's happening in the, the school overall. And so that's something that I think we need to keep in mind that even those folks that are doing a great job, and I, Brett, I try to remember all the questions that were on the survey, and I don't know that that was something that was addressed in terms of what's happening with your colleagues. So I don't, I don't know. I know you want to keep the questions consistent, but that's just something that I've got to ponder that I hadn't thought of that they were very loud in talking about how that's a, an emotional issue for them. Yeah, I love Kevin. I'd love to chat more about that too, because I think we do have aspects of what you're describing as empathy. And I think a lot of our teachers have our high empathy. A lot of our most successful teachers are high empathy. And I shared a little bit about engagement, this kind of obscure construct, but it is infectious in both directions. So you can have someone who's really disengaged, as we would define it in our survey, that can that negativity can bleed to others. And it does. I mean, every day happens. Vice versa, you have those that are highly engaged. That can mm-hmm. help create more positivity in others too. But it is, and what we're seeing, once again, we talk about transactional, transformational. One of the big predictors too was having a group of colleagues that you respect and can spend time with in the educational setting. So it's just, yeah, I think you really tapped into an important part that we need to understand more. I would say that just kind of final anecdote that that really probably caught me a little off guard. I'm really into the whole impact this has on specifically the retention and the engagement piece. But we talk a lot about that society's view and challenges we might have between different groups and how they see funding or other pieces. And one of the things that I think has really struck me as an example is having a district that was really engaged with the data from the beginning, but hadn't necessarily got to that point of that individual district information. One of the drivers, uh, low satisfaction, driver of engagement, predictive of those that are saying they might leave the profession, is the ability to secure a substitute on the statewide data. And that district was really in tune to that, and they were having conversations about adding $10, or I believe it was $10, to each substitute pay for each day. And that would be great. And it was something they were really looking at. They're looking at the investment and the impact it would have on their budget. Well, before they took that action, they got their district information. And while it was low satisfaction in their district, 
it wasn't a driver of engagement or retention. And so they started thinking about the fact that maybe we need to think about some of these pieces that are predictive of, you know, that are drivers of engagement and retention and think about how we can support financially some of those areas. And so when we think about, for instance, conversations about accountability with budgets and how we spend money and some of these pieces, there's a whole aspect of this that I didn't realize that goes to making sure we're getting dollars in districts into the places that are going to have the greatest impact on keeping our teachers, which everyone generally agrees in communities is extremely important. And so it's that kind of fiscal aspect of this that I probably didn't anticipate as you really get to that difference at the district level. One anecdote that comes to mind for me as a board member, it's really drawn from a number of conversations I've had over the last couple of years in particular with teaching staff who either are still in my district or some who have who have left the teaching profession. And it the conversation that goes, you know, I've had students who express an interest in becoming teachers or my own children are talking about pursuing an education degree. And I, you know, the teachers say to me, I don't feel like I can in good conscience encourage them to do that. And I've had that conversation with enough people that I'm truly alarmed at what we are looking at in terms of preserving and maintaining the profession in our public schools. So when we talk about the engagement factors that the survey is measuring and making progress on those things that are non-monetary, I see that as so essential to getting at that story, getting at returning our teaching staff to a place where they feel like they can say to a student or to their own family members that come to them, yes, you're not ever going to be rich being a teacher in terms of what you are paid. But making sure that they feel like all of the other things about their profession are so positive that it outweighs some of those considerations. And I, I want to make sure that we are focusing on the right things to do that. This survey is going to really help in the long term with those conversations. And I feel like we've been there in the past, so I don't see why we couldn't have that as a goal to get there in the future. You know, I think for me, this is this is Jessica. You know, as we look at Hattie's research on how we move kids in the classroom, the most important factor is their classroom teacher. And so this profession is just so important when we think of the future of our school district, our state, the country, the world. I mean, children are our greatest resource. And the best thing we can do is have phenomenal teachers in front of them to cultivate that. And so as a leader, as an administrator, that responsibility weighs really heavy on me. And not only for students, but then keeping our human capital well, physically, mentally, all of the things that they need. And so for me, I just was not anticipating the leverage of information, the different lenses that I can bring from this one survey. And I, I want to thank Brett and Luke for, you know, their hard work on this, truly, because it's away from, you know, a 50 foot, thousand foot view for me to be a better leader. And from that one foot view of the, the teacher standing right across from me or sitting right across from me. And so 
it's an amazing profession. It's very important. And keeping them healthy is so important. And having, you know, this tool that allows me to talk to industry professionals, our business professionals, our teachers, our school board, KNEA at the negotiation table, but then to my first and second year teacher saying, you know, to Shannon's point, like you may not be the richest person, but you're the the wealth that you're going to feel from from nurturing a student and seeing their success. We just can't put a price tag on. And so I just wasn't anticipating the value of this free survey, you know, that we can give and, and the results um, that and the, and the way that it, it's helped me become a better leader. I want to thank all of you so much for your time to be here. Thank you for listening to How We Teach This. If you're interested in looking at the data from the survey, you can find a link to the website of the Kansas Teacher Retention Initiative on our website at www.emporia.edu backslash HWTT. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and will subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by the Teachers College at Emporia State University, featuring talks with experts and educators, addressing topics that can help you as an educator, a parent, and a person. We release new episodes every other Wednesday. You can get more information provided by our guests on our website, www.emporia.edu slash HWTT. We would appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us and share on Twitter with at HWTT underscore ESU. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for How We Teach This. If you would like to be a guest on our show or are willing to give us some feedback, please send us an email at hwtt at emporia.edu. I'm Christy Dugan, the executive producer. You've been listening to How We Teach This. Thank you.